0: Well, before I start, let me say if if you look back in the back, we are missing both Carl and we are missing Larry. Both of them are dealing with health issues this week, so let's remember both of them in our prayers. Uh, if you're looking at the uh, outline here, there's actually quite a few verses on there, and I do encourage you to always keep your outline so you can go back. I uh, thought this week as I was thinking about a number of things taking place and also thinking about some of even our just discussions and the way we cover things here within Bible study on Wednesdays and Sundays. We spend a lot of time going back and focusing on the Word. And as I begin to think about it, I haven't touched on this in a while. Uh, and we're going to look at it totally different than I have last time I looked at it, because uh, we could preach on this literally every week for months and not, not really even dive into uh, the Scriptures. But we're going to talk about the inspiration of the Scriptures. And the reason I thought about that throughout this week is, is you know, we spend so much time going back to the Word of God that if you don't understand this, the rest of it really doesn't mean a whole lot. Uh, and then as I was beginning to study on this, I went back and I began to look for recent polls. Lately, guys, the polls have not been, not been good on religious questions asked of those who claim to be Christians. There was a poll done just a uh, month and a half ago. And the poll was of those who claim to be or identify as Christians. They were asking them their thoughts on Scripture. And guys, only 20% of those who actually identify as a Christian, so they call themselves Christians, 20% of people that were polled actually believe that the Bible is the literal inspired Word of God. Now, that has down drastically over the years. 49% of the people that were polled took the view that the Bible is inspired of God, but you can't really take everything at face value or, you know, it wasn't meant to be literal. And so, as I, you think about that for just a second. Some people believe it is 100% the Word of God. Some people, they don't. And if you think about that, guys, it really explains why we have a number of the issues and so many differing beliefs amongst those who claim to be Christians. Right? With that being said you read Mark 16 15 through 16 and someone may say well yeah I I believe you need to be baptized someone else would say I I don't think you need to be baptized and someone else would say I I think sprinklings okay guys much of that is based on how they look at the scriptures is it all inspired and authoritative or not it's a big deal to have an understanding of this and part of that is, is because we do live in a culture and it's getting worse all the time where There seems to be an opposition to that idea of absolute morality or absolute authority. And a number of people, as you begin to talk about Bible topics, they are confused and mixed up virtually about everything, it seems, anymore. Uh, There is such thing as truth, and it is found within a book which does not have any equal. That book is actually our God-breathed scriptures, and you'll notice that that's the title for this morning. What do we know about the Bible, this very specific, different, and unique book? Let me give you just a little information about our Bible. Written over a period of 1,500 years by over 40 different authors, they varied in their, um, call their jobs or in their occupations from kings to military leaders to peasants, philosophers, fishermen, tax collectors, poets, scholars, and even shepherds. It was written in many different places at many different times by people experiencing many different circumstances. It was, again, written in many different locations, primarily using two different languages. That would be Greek and would be Hebrew, although there is some Aramaic over in Daniel. There's a purpose for that. I don't have time to cover that today. But primarily it was Hebrew and Greek, again, written in many different literary styles. If you look through your scriptures, you will find prose, poetry, you'll find historical narrative, you'll find romance, law, you will find biography, parables, you'll find allegories, you'll find prophecy. It goes back and it touches on and deals specifically with hundreds of difficult issues, all of them without a single contradiction. That's That's a pretty interesting book. It was brought up this morning, as a matter of fact, that the book is a single continuous history of God's people, and his will for those people, and again, it does so without ever contradicting itself. That's an awful lot to ask for a book that contains so much, written by so many, in different languages, from so many places, by people with so many different backgrounds. And all of that, and it never contradicts itself. Now, certainly it is an unequaled book. I don't think we need to go any more to try to prove that although i will today but we should be able to stop right there and as i say it, it is a very unique book this certainly was not an accident as a matter of fact it was very purposeful the bible does achieve this uniqueness through a process that we would call biblical inspiration Okay, it's that process that we're gonna look at today and we're gonna do that by really going over to second timothy chapter three we're gonna start off there and look at verses fourteen through seventeen and then i'm gonna come back and give you a little more additional information <clears throat> I think last time when I touched this, I touched it in a totally different way. Uh, and again, if, uh, if you guys have never gone back and studied this in detail, I know we have here in Bible study and gone back and looked at how the Bible was written, and it's something you need to spend some time on. But go ahead and follow along with me. We're going to read from 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. <clears throat> Sorry, guys. 2 Timothy 3, starting in verse 14. throughly furnished unto all good works." Now I'm going to go back and focus for just a second on verse 16. He says there that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. That phrase there, inspiration of God, is literally one word. If you go back and look it up, what it means is, is God breathed. It is the idea of, and I'll help clarify this here in a minute, literally God breathed the Word out, and it came into existence. And we're going to touch on that with another passage here in a little bit. But if, his, if this Word was literally the God-given Word, and it was delivered literally with His very own breath, then it stands to reason that the Word of God is absolutely perfect. Right? It's of God. It is His thoughts right here within our own hands. Now the question may be why exactly and I would ask this question if I'm reading 2 Timothy 3:14 through 17 why is Paul actually writing this to Timothy Well you need to go back just two verses so let's read 2 Timothy 3:12 and 13 Notice what he says before he tells him uh, to continue He says yea and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse deceiving, and being deceived. Why is he writing this? Why is he telling him to continue in what he's been taught? Well, in the previous passages, he tells him that because this world is getting worse and worse and because we are surrounded by evil and sin, as Christians we have to be on guard so that we maintain our faithfulness. And so Paul goes back and he begins to exhort Timothy of a couple of things. And notice again, he says he needs to continue in the things he's learned and then he says in the things that he's been assured of. Now, in context, he's speaking specifically of the Holy Scriptures here. But he's talking about these Holy Scriptures which make one wise unto salvation. You guys will notice I, uh, I followed up with John. John uh, actually spoke on salvation on Wednesday. And I thought I would go back and, and write a bulletin on that a little bit. But here again, we're talking about the Scriptures which make us wise unto salvation. Right? The Scriptures don't just teach one how to be saved. They teach us how to stay saved. And so these Scriptures that he's talking about, and he's, he is telling Timothy, they were given by the inspiration of God. They literally were God-breathed. They, they are authoritative as you begin to go back and to look at the Scriptures here. They are the instructions for salvation. They were given for instruction, as he says here, that we might be complete. Again, the idea of being Perfect or completeness. Guys, people are looking for answers today. And they're going to a whole lot of different places for it. I'm going to tell you real quick before, before uh, or as you're dealing with people in the world, many of you probably know people who are going to self-help and philosophy books. And there's nothing wrong with self-help and philosophy books. Many of the problems that we deal with in life are actually repl- or dealt with within God's Word specifically. And you'll find many of those problems are are dealt with within God's Scripture. What exactly do we learn from 2 Timothy 3, verse 14 through 17? Let's break it down a little bit verse by verse. Let's go on over to verse 14 first. What's he telling Timothy? Man has to learn and live by the Scriptures. That's how I would break it down. Notice again what he says. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned." Now, you may not know a whole lot about Timothy, but if you go back, you know that Timothy had been taught the Scriptures his entire life. As a matter of fact, when he was a child, we had his mother Eunice, we have his grandmother Lois, uh, grounding him in the Scriptures. You'll find that in 2 Timothy 1.5. I did put that note on there for you. These guys were both pretty strong believers in the Lord, and so they began to teach Timothy. Paul then comes along and he grounds Timothy even more. Now, I want you to notice, though, something that we have to point out. This was actually touched last Wednesday. I think, uh, I think Wendy brought it up. It's not enough to just have learned the Scriptures. I'm learning as I read 2 Timothy 3.14. It's not enough to just assume that the Scriptures or these teachings are true. It's not enough to actually know that the teachers who taught me knew what they were talking about. Timothy knew all this. He'd literally seen all of this play out within his life. He had learned the Scriptures, and he believed they were true, Right? But here's what Paul tells him, that he has to continue in them. It seems to me today when I talk to a lot of people about Christianity, they seem to think it's nothing more than really a bracelet or a tattoo or a bumper sticker. It's not, guys. It is literally it's a chosen way of life. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy here when he says you need to continue in these things which you've been taught. Let's focus in on the word continue for just a minute. That Greek word, if you look it up, literally means to abide, to dwell, to remain, to stay. That's what Paul is telling Timothy. He needs to live according to these these scriptures, these teachings. He needs to stay within the bounds of them. Guys, that's why we preach book, chapter, and verse here. That's why book, chapter, and verse is so important, is because if that is what I'm supposed to live by, I need to have it explained to me in great detail, literally if... If somebody says you should be doing something or you should not be doing something, your question should be, where do I find that so I can continue in that? God's Word is the teaching by which we're to continue, and we have to know it. That's why we spend so much time on book, chapter, and verse preaching. That's what we learn from verse 14. Notice what we learn from 15. Only the Scriptures can make you wise unto salvation. There's an awful lot of people trying to find out how to be saved or how to get through this life. Guys, they need to go back to the Scriptures. Listen to 2 Timothy 3.15. And that from a child thou hast known the holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Now I'm going to give you two verses. I'm going to go over to Romans one sixteen first. Notice what Paul tells the church in Rome. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, I'm not going to spend any time on it, but if you ever look up that word believe, that word pistuo, which is the same base word as the word faith, which is pistis, the Jew had a mindset of that word. To believe or to have faith meant I understood it and I will do it. You did not have faith if you would not do it. You can go back and look at Hebrews chapter 11, and you'll notice that every time somebody was called out as being a faithful follower of God or having faith, they understood it and they did it. Totally different than today's world who says you can believe in your mind but not do anything. The Jew knew that was different, and that's what Paul shows us here in Romans 1.16. Listen to Romans 15.4. He says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. When I say the Scriptures make us wise unto salvation, guys, that started all the way back in the Old Testament. Paul refers back to these Old Testament writings, and the whole time they were pointing to the fact that there was a Messiah coming, that there was a kingdom that was going to be established. All of this which ties directly into our New Testament Scriptures, both of them 100% inspired, and both of them going together just like this. One long account working through God's people into the next dispensation of God's people. <clears throat> tells us how to be saved through Christ, starting all the way back in Genesis 3.15. There isn't any other book that reveals this to man. Matter of fact, the only wisdom that can ever save this world is really the wisdom of God Himself. And that, that wisdom is found within our God-breathed scriptures. Let me make a side note for anybody who is, who is here right now or watching this online. And I cover this once in a while. Guys, this is the God-breathed word, if you have an accurate copy. So let me be real, real careful to anybody who's here and say, you do the, do the work, do the research, and get a revision or a version that is a word-for-word translation that is accurate. When I say that, what I mean is, is get a get a reliable translation. Get a King James, a New King James. Get an ASV. Get a get a uh, an NASV. Get one of those versions and know the weaknesses, guys. The King James is not the best version out there. That's what I memorize. It's what I love. It has problems. I fix it when I go there. Right? Get an MLV. Get one of those. Get a, get one of these really good translations. <clears throat> do not get. Please do not get paraphrases. Do not get dynamic equivalences. You may say, what is that? Don't get an NIV. They take verses out of the Bible. Do not get paraphrases. Do not get dynamic equipment. Don't get the message. It's not even worth the paper it's written on. Get a book that translates from word to word, from the original language into English. Know its weaknesses and have a second copy to compare the two. That's That's how everybody does it. Let me give you one more example. Many of you guys don't even realize How many of you guys have... Just raise your hand. How many of you have ever heard of the Revised Standard Version? Okay, I see some hands going up. Guys, do your research. That version, the guys in charge of that did not believe in the inspiration of the Scriptures. Let that sink in for a minute. Men who do not believe the Bible is fully inspired, translating the Bible, they're going to send for people to read. If you have a low view of inspiration, you're not going to spend a whole lot of time making sure it's as accurate as can be. So again, I'm not telling you what version to get. Just get a good one and know the weaknesses. And if you have a dynamic equivalence or a paraphrase, heat your house with it this week, it's going, this month, it's going, or this year. It's going to be cold, right? Don't use it for Bible study. Get a different one, okay? Now, with that being said, let me get back into the sermon. But guys, you, do, you can't understand what God wants you to know if you're using, if you're using trash to study. And those, those books aren't even worth the paper they're on, so just throw them in the trash. Uh, if you need to know how to be saved and how to get saved, don't you think you literally need the exact word that God gave us? Are there problems with the copies we have? There are. We've discussed some of those here within Bible study. Know the problems and then work around them. But there are a few copyist issues and things like that. Okay? But other than that, the Scriptures are accurate, not counting what man has done to it. Now, let's go to the next passage, verse 16. He says, All Scripture there is inspired by God. It was actually brought up this morning, and I'm glad it was. Uh, There are Bibles that have books in them that are not Scripture. It was actually brought up this morning about the Catholic Bible. For anybody who's read that, there are books in there we don't have in ours. Why are they in there? Well, they decided to put them in there, but they are not inspired. But Scripture is inspired. 2 Timothy 3.16, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Okay, this is extremely important for everyone here to have an understanding of the nature of inspiration with the Scripture. Now, in context, Paul's talking about the Old Testament here. Okay, he's talking about Old Testament Scriptures. John mentioned it this morning. New Testament Scriptures had not been fully completed. We had books being written, and they were compiling them together, and we now have them all recorded as our New Testament. But at the time, they didn't have all, all of these completed. Uh, but this certainly this verse it's applicable to our New Testament, but here was the point. Every bit of Scripture, whether it was Old Testament or whether it's New Testament, is literally inspired. It's inspired by God. It's God-breathed. Again, the idea is that literally God breathed this Word out just like He did everything that we see around us at the beginning of time, just as He did at creation. Listen to Psalm 33:6. By the Word of the Lord were the heavens made and all the host of them by the breath of His mouth. Just as God, by the breath of His mouth, spoke and it came into existence, it was also the breath of His mouth that gave us our scriptures. Right? Just as He made everything around us that we see, He also, through that same breath, gave us the word of God. And that's what tells us the entire account. It's what tells us the mind of God. Literally, they were... It was the Word of God, and then it came to us through His messengers. Guys, that's how the Word was delivered in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. You have God's mind, and God needs to get that mind into our ears or into our hands. How is He going to do that? Well, listen to 2 Peter one twenty-one. For the prophecy that came not, in old, came not in old time by the will of man... They didn't come up with it, that's what he's saying. These guys did not come up with it. It wasn't their own will. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Anytime somebody is speaking by the Holy Spirit, whether it's in the Old Testament or the New Testament, that is inspiration. Okay, And guys, anytime you see the word Holy Spirit, I've, to- I've told you this every before, anytime you see the word Holy Spirit within your Bible, something miraculous is taking place. Amen. If you see the word Holy Spirit, whether it's the scriptures coming through the Holy Spirit, that's miraculous. Whether it's the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that is miraculous. You need to have that understanding as you begin to think about how these men got this word and how they gave it to us. The the apostles and the prophets, they didn't come up with the message. They received this God-breathed Word through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And again, he tells us the reason why they delivered it to us. Listen to 2 Timothy 3.17. That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. How would you know how to be complete as a Christian if you didn't have the Word of God in your hands? You wouldn't know, would you? You'd have no idea what God expected of you, and neither would I. Now, you may be listening to me and you say, well, so the Bible says it's inspired. That's a pretty big claim. I could, go, I could go into McDonald's and say, hey, everybody, I'm a prophet of God. I'm inspired. And what would they probably think? Yeah, you're a nutcase is what you are. Can you prove you're a prophet of God? That's what I would be asking. Can you prove it? Because I'm sure people are watching this online going, it's a pretty big claim for the Bible to say, I'm 100% inspired and I'm accurate, don't question my my will for you. You should be questioning it. I would. Is there evidence for inspiration? Let's let this sink in for just a second. If the Bible is inspired, there should be evidence of its inspiration. right? We would expect if it's 100% accurate, that it's not going to contradict itself. We would expect that if God is the author of truth, He would not and cannot contradict Himself. We would expect that His Word would contain a united message starting from the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament. We would expect that it would be written to all men to address their relationship with God, that it would contain an unchangeable standard of morality, even when society doesn't like that standard of morality and it stays the same, and that it would contain certain things that only God would know. And you may say, well, what are some things that only God would know? Let me give you, I'll just give you two of them. An example of something that only God would know would be prophecy of unknown events which were yet to take place in the future. There's no human that can have an understanding of what events will take place tomorrow and to accurately describe those. And yet we have examples throughout our scriptures where either God or one of His prophets said, This is going to take place. We just studied not too long ago when Daniel was telling, here's when the kingdom is going to be established. Here's the systems that will be in place prior to the establishment of of that system in which the kingdom will come in, and it lays it all out. And you have all of this stuff explained throughout the Scriptures where we can look at these, and it's foretelling of future events, like Christ coming, dying, how He would die. There's nobody that could have wrote all that down and been accurate about it. Remember, over 40 different men all writing different prophecies and every one of them actually not contradicting with the others and actually being fulfilled? That's something only God could know. Here's another thing that only God could know. How about the very fact that as you begin to look at the Scriptures, it reveals God's nature? Nobody can know God's nature except for the Godhead specifically Himself. If He didn't reveal that to us, how would I know anything about God? How would I know anything about Christ? How would I know anything about the Holy Spirit? How would I know how they work? How would I know what their will is for me if I didn't have the, the scriptures to explain that? Only that, That's only something God could know. We would also expect that if you're going to make the claim, or if the speakers were going to make the claim that I am of God, that in some way they would confirm that to me. right? If, if a guy comes into McDonald's and says, hey, I'm a prophet and I'm foretelling God's word, I'm going to challenge him to his face. Prove it and there's a, there's a set of things he better be able to do. The scripture shows me that. I would challenge him, right? Somehow you need to confirm it. And if the scriptures is inspired, it should be confirmed. And it was. It was through the many miracles which were done as confirmation confirmation of the speaker and his word. Listen to Mark 16:20. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them "...and confirming the word with signs following." Amen. They were going around and they were preaching and they could do the miraculous. right? Just from the very fact that they could do a miracle would prove to me this person's of God. right? I guarantee you if someone came and began to tell me God says this and God says this and I had a brother who was paralyzed and I'd known him since he was six and he's laying there on the floor since he was young and somebody comes over and touches him and raises him up and he can walk, does a miracle... And the guy says he's from God. I've never seen anybody raise the dead before or heal somebody. Okay, there's proof of that. Hebrews 2, 4. God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. If you go back one verse, you'll find out in context, the, here, the writer of Hebrews here, he's referring back to the day of Pentecost. He's referring back to the miraculous which was taking place there on that day it was confirming the word that's what the miracles were there for they were indeed speaking on behalf of god they were his chosen spokesman, and you can know that because they're doing the miraculous let me give you one more passage and this is the account i usually go back here nicodemus so nicodemus who we know was a ruler of the jews he sees jesus doing all of these miracles he comes to him by night listen closely to what he says and this is why When I said that the Bible or the speaker would be able to confirm and prove who they were, here's what he says. Nicodemus says to Jesus, The same came to Jesus by night, and he said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. Let me pause for a second. How would he know this? That's a logical question. He goes on, For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Here's a Jew waiting for the Messiah to come, He hasn't put two and two together yet, but he knows this. He's got to be from God or he wouldn't be able to do these miracles that he's doing. Now, as we begin to talk about the very fact that it is inspired and that it was confirmed through the miraculous, then you need to take away from it this, that the Scriptures are authoritative and that they are understandable decrees of God. Again, the words of our New Testament are... God breathed. He literally breathed them out just like He did creation. They literally came from God. Christ actually breathed His Spirit upon the apostles so that they could speak God's words. And that is the significance of John 20, 20 through 22. Listen very closely. And when He had so said, He showed unto them His hands and His side. Huh, He's come back from the dead, huh? And he goes on, Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord, and then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. What's he going to send them to do? Well, you can look at Matthew 16, 18, and a number of other passages. They're going to go out and preach the gospel. Verse 22, And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and he saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. Guys, this is for the apostles. This is not for us. So many people read their scriptures and they're like, oh, it says right here that I'm going to know all things. No, this is for the apostles. If you sneak into my house and read a letter I wrote for my wife, don't apply that to yourself. It was for her. This comment is for the apostles. His breathing on them is for the apostles only. And notice what he tells his apostles prior to his death in John 16:13. "...howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you, you apostles, into all truth. For He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you, you apostles, things to come." I've had people use this passage for them. He'll, He'll show us things to come, and He will show us all truth. And I'm like, nope, not you. Go back and read the pronouns. He's talking to the apostles. Why is he going to show this to them? Because they're going to relay that information to us. I don't have that relationship uh, with God, Christ, the Holy Spirit to come in and to inspire me to work. But I can speak words of inspiration, but not of my own accord. I can preach to you book, chapter, and verse, which are the words of God, but they're not my words. Guys, I make mistakes. I've made four or five of them already since I've been up here. But the word of God being given to the apostles were not mistakes. They were words for them. It guided them into all truth. He would show them things to come. And Think about it this way. The apostles were guided into all truth. They revealed all truth. We have what they revealed. We have all the truth that came from them. And there is no more. We could go back and find out and look that the scriptures were completed within that first century. And There's a lot of verses we could look at. But here's what I know. I have all the truth. It was given, it was inspired, it was revealed to them, and they revealed it to us. And it's authoritative because it was God-breathed directly from God, given through His spokesman. Jesus, God in the flesh, said in John twelve forty eight, and we looked at this verse this morning, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Now, how many of you guys have ever talked to somebody who said, you know, I try to read my Bible, and I just I, I can't understand it? I just can't understand it. I don't, I don't really understand what God wants me to, to know. The God-breathed Word can be understood. They say the King James is written in about sixth-grade uh, English. Now, it's antiquated, yes. But they say the average person, once you get used to the Fs and all that stuff in the King James, you can read it with about a sixth-grade level reading. Just like with any other translation version, you're going to need a dictionary. You're going to need one for the King James. You'll need it for the New King James. You'll need it for any Bible that you use. You're going to need a dictionary. But it can be understood. Why? Well, the God-breathed Word was given to us through the Holy Spirit with words specifically for our knowledge. Listen to 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 13. And again, I'm going to point out some pronouns here because so many people misuse Scripture. But God hath revealed, this is Paul talking to the church in Corinth. But God hath revealed them unto us, who's the us? Well, Paul and the apostles. That's who he revealed them to. By his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man, but the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. Now we, who is he talking about? The apostles. Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we, the apostles, those disciples, we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. How? Through the Holy Spirit. He goes on, verse 13, Which things also we speak, they're going out and proclaiming the gospel. He says, Not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Spirit teacheth, Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. The God-breathed Word was given to them, and they came out, and they began to teach it. They gave this teaching, specifically through the apostles, through the, through the prophets, uh, through very distinct and plain words. Right? And then the apostles and the prophets in the Old Testament, in turn, they revealed that information to the uninspired. Let me break it down a little simpler. I'm not inspired of God. They were. They revealed their, their uh, by inspiration, the thought of God. It was recorded and it was given to me because I'm not inspired. So they had the knowledge. They revealed the knowledge. Now I have the knowledge. I don't need to have a miraculous gift. I don't need to go out and confirm anything when I speak because I don't, I don't come up with anything. I just quote, I just plagiarize the Bible every week when I come up here. I plagiarize the Bible. That's my job as a Christian. That's your job as a Christian. Plagiarize the Bible. The right? best sermon you're ever going to preach is just reading one that was already done. You can't, you can't make it any better. So the Spirit gave the, the information to the prophets, and they relate it to us, because we're not inspired. Listen to Ephesians 3, 3-5. It says, How that by revelation He made known unto me, this is Paul speaking, the mystery, by revelation God let me know it. It then says, As I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ which in other ages was not made known unto unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. They didn't get it before, but the information was given to us, and we've revealed it to you, and guess what? He says, when you read, you can understand. And I've had people say, I try to read it, it's so confusing. Let me ask you a question. How many of you guys remember the first time you had geometry or algebra? Did you guys do this? Oh, Yeah, I understand it all now you were like me you were like snapping your pencils over your knee and you're like i can't get it and and somebody wiser and calmer would say yeah you got to continue to study and read it and read it and read it and do the work do the work right how many of you guys actually faked the problems when you had to do the work yeah (laughs) i didn't do the work i didn't do the work yeah sometimes uh, they would only check to see if you did it i just put the answer in there right you got people doing that with christianity today when you read You may understand. He's not saying once you've read. I had a guy tell me this week, I've read through the Bible one time. I don't quite get it. Well, how fast did you read through it? Are you a speed reader? That's probably why. You may understand when you read it. Put the work in. That's what he's saying. It's just like algebra. It's just like English. It's just like history. You've got to put the time in. Listen to 2 Peter 1, 19 through 21. Because some people say, well, I read it But, you know, I think it means this. And another guy says, oh, no, wait a minute. I read the same passage. I think it means that. Let's see what Peter has to say about that. 2 Peter 1, 19 through 21. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn, and the day star arise in your hearts. Listen closely. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation let me pause for a minute when you read the bible you get to mark 6 48 and you read it and you're like you know i think that means this and somebody else reads it and they're like no no i think it means something else peter says guess what he says no prophecy of the scripture and no scripture in general for at all is of any private interpretation he he goes on verse 21 for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. There is no interpretation by us today. Let me say it this way. ye either understand it or you don't. In Mark 16, 15 and 16, when Jesus says you need to believe and to be baptized to be saved, ye either understand it or you don't. You've got some people that say, you know, I interpret that to say you should believe and then you're saved and then you should get baptized, even though that's not what it says. But that's how they interpret it. And some say, I think that, yeah, you, you probably should believe and you probably should get baptized, but it's not necessary. But if you do that, you'll be saved. Guys, there are people who come back and try to interpret within their own mind the Scriptures. You, you either understand it or you don't. I'm not saying you're going to understand it the first time you read it. I'm saying you either understand it or you don't. If you're saying you don't need to get baptized what the Scriptures say you do, you don't understand it, no matter how you interpret it. There is no interpretation needed. They gave us the information. It's like the first day of geometry, right? 2 plus 2 equals 5. That's how I interpret it. Who are you to tell me I'm wrong? In today's school, unfortunately, yes. 2 plus 2 is 5. No, no, I think it's 6. I think it's 4. Guys, you either understand it or you don't. The answer is four. Okay, There's no interpretation. That's what Peter shows us regarding the scriptures. Now let me end with a couple of misunderstandings, because I started off telling you only 20% of people today believe the Bible is literally the inspired Word of God. Everybody else had a, a different viewpoint on it. And again, can't force anybody to believe anything. Uh, and as a matter of fact, I'm a, I'll be honest with you guys, uh, if I didn't believe the scriptures were true, and we'll get to that here in a minute, I would quit the whole charade. Let me tell you what I mean. Misunderstandings of the Bible. What do people think? Well, you've got some people who believe it's a good book. Not a great book, not a unique book, not a special book, it's just a good book. Uh, very much like whoever your favorite author is, maybe Shakespeare or somebody else. And so they would say the Bible's not inspired at all, but it is a good book. And it's beneficial. Some would say that it's not beneficial at all. That, that thought process right there, it's, it's not inspired. That's what you would be told by those who are atheists, infidels, liberals. They'd all want you to believe that. Uh, and guys, there's some of those that have even come up with some, like, like the RSV, the group that was making it. They didn't believe in the inspiration of the scriptures. But there are those that don't believe it is inspired at all. They literally believe that it's a good book. Guys, let me ask you a question. If it's just a good book, like Shakespeare wrote a book, or like The Lord of the Flies, or any other book, why would I believe it? Why would I even do it? If it's not from God, and it's just some man's opinion, that's the valid question. Why would I even accept it? And let me tell you right now, guys, if I did not 100% believe this was the inspired Word of God, I would not be a Christian, and I'm telling you straight up. If in two years I came to the conclusion that this is not true, 100%, I am walking away from the faith. Why? Why go through this? Why why be ridiculed? Why make my life as hard as it is trying to be faithful to something if later I come to the conclusion it's not true? I get that if someone says they don't believe it. That's what I would do. I I struggle with the fact because I believe the Bible is inspired, but... That would be the conclusion I came to. And that's because a lot of people don't believe it is inspired. You have some people today who do believe it's inspired, partly inspired, but not all of it. Uh, And, and guys, that would be a number of people that would have you believe something like this. And you may say, can you give me an example? We've talked about this example before. Um, Some people don't define themselves at all, right? One of the groups that would fit into this category would be, remember when we talked about red-letter Christians? Only believe the words of Jesus. Everything else they threw away. You've got people today who would say, well, I I believe some of it's inspired, or I believe certain books are inspired, certain books are not. Red-letter Christians, they literally, uh, if you don't know who, actually go back and study this. Thomas Jefferson was the first one that I'm aware of that did this. Thomas Jefferson took a Bible. He didn't tell anybody because he knew there'd be outrage. He took a penknife, he opened up the Bible, what we call the red letters. All the words of Jesus he cut out. And he made his own Bible. He cut out the words that he wanted, tossed the ones that he did not. And they actually found that there in his house. He rejected all of it, but Jesus' words. I accept the part where Jesus talks. I don't, expect, I, don't, uh, I don't believe any of the rest of it. I reject it. Guys, that's not new. Listen to Jeremiah thirty-six twenty-three. And it came to pass when that when Jehudai had read three or four leaves, he cut it with the penknife. Now, this isn't Jehudai that's cutting it. This is um, 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 Jehoiakim that's cutting it. So Jehoiakim comes out as Jehudai is reading the Scriptures. He cut it with the penknife and cast it into the fire that was on the hearth until all the roll was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth. Jehoiakim comes, and he takes the prophecy of Jeremiah, and he cuts cuts it up. In this case, he didn't want any of it, so he cuts it up. Very similar to when uh, when we have Thomas Jefferson cutting out the portions he likes. But here was the thing. He didn't agree with it. He didn't agree with it, and so he went, and he got rid of it. Now, guys, let let me ask you a logical question. If some of it's true, but some of it's not, which part do we follow? Which part's true? Which part's not true? If some of it's not true, but some of it is true, how can I even be confident that the part I think is true is really true? Let that sink in. I could be wrong. Maybe the parts that I think are untrue are actually true, and maybe the parts that I think are untrue are actually true. That's getting kind of deep, isn't it? You start picking and choosing stuff, you're like, well, what if I'm wrong? Maybe that's not actually untrue, maybe it is true. So you start getting into that mindset of, well, I can get rid of some and keep others. Uh, Guys, there's a whole lot of problems. Let Let me say it this way. If you don't accept some of it, you're not worthy of any of it. Only the faithful are gonna go to heaven. And so if you don't accept some of it, you're not worthy of any of it. If you take that standpoint, I'm just gonna help you guys out. Don't think this is being harsh, guys. If you reject some of the Bible, and you're not going to use it. When I say the, the Scriptures, the Old Testament, I don't live under the Old Testament. We'll talk about that here for just a second. But I do live under the New Testament. But if I believe half that New Testament's wrong, or anybody who thinks that way, you need to study some more because if you're not going to follow it all, you might as well just toss the Bible and walk away. You can't be faithful by only following half of the manual. Let me point something out here with Paul and James. They show us we can't go back to the Scriptures and begin to choose which standards we'll keep and which ones we will reject and not expect God or or, or expect God to overlook our disobedience or expect God to simply be pleased with what we're doing. Let me read to you James 2.10. James says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. What's James saying? James is saying if you're guilty in part of the law, you're guilty in, in regarding everything in the law, right? Uh, it, let me break it down easier. I'm taking my driving test, right? And the guy gives me the manual and says, hey, you need to memorize this. And, and I realize as I'm taking my test, I'm, I mess up on uh, how to parallel park. That's one of the laws that they gave me, the, one of the rules, right? The idea is if that law applies, all the laws apply equally. Okay. There was three dispensations. Patriarchs they had their own law, that came to an end when the law of Moses was taught, when it came into place. Then the Jews lived under the law of Moses until it came to an end, and the law of Christ, the perfect law of liberty, came into place. But there's three dispens. There we go. That's not three. Three dispensations. Patriarch, law of Moses, Christian. They each had their own law. Right? We don't worship on the Sabbath because we don't live under the law of Moses. We don't set bulls on fire in the front yard because we don't live under the law of Moses. Right? I, don't, I don't act as a priest on behalf of my family because I'm not a patriarch. So what I'm saying is is each dispensation had its own law. Okay? And if I'm guilty of part of the law, all of the law applies to me under that dispensation. Notice what Paul says in Galatians 5.3. I'm almost done, guys. He says, For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to the whole law. Now you may be saying, what in the world is going on here? Paul's dealing with Judaizers who are coming into the church and they're trying to bind part of the law of Moses on the Gentiles who were becoming Christians. They're literally trying to add to the gospel. It was never part of the gospel, but they're trying to add it there. And Paul wrote that those who are debtors to the law of Moses are debtors to the entire law. What's he saying? If you're going to follow the law of circumcision as a Christian, then you need to follow the whole law of Moses. You can't pick and choose certain laws. If you're a debtor to that law, you've got to follow it all. And then he comes out and he makes it very clear that they're not under that law. Christians are bound to the New Testament, which replaced the Old Testament. Again, Colossians 2.14. Listen to James 1.25. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein... He being not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. I live under a God-breathed law. It is the perfect law of liberty. It is the law of, uh, of God, the gospel, which gives me liberty. Right? Through, through the sacrifice of Christ. So what does the New Testament actually teach about the scriptures and its origin. Paul sums it up. We looked at this verse, but I'm going to give it to you just one more time. 1 Corinthians 2.13. Paul sums up the teaching of the apostles to the church there in Corinth. He says, "...which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Spirit teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual." Uh, I saw an awful lot of people posting about abortion this week on Facebook. and People were like, well, I think that you should do, and I, I think this is okay, and I, I don't think you should do that, and why don't we just go back and post the Word of God? It doesn't really matter what you think. If anybody's watching this on, online, I think murdering people's wrong. That's my personal opinion. My opinion's not worth any more than anybody else's, but God's opinion does matter. God's opinion does matter, and so when God tells me something... I adhere to it. So if someone says, do you believe in abortion? My response is no. I don't believe in killing people. Guys, all of the teaching of the scriptures are inspired. They are authoritative. They are unchangeable. And let me say this. If you claim that Christ is your Savior, you claim that Christ is your King, but you will not follow the decrees of the King, He's not really your King. And you're not His subjects. If you say, well, I'm going to do some of it, but not not all of it, you're not a faithful subject of the king. I can't get any simpler than that. Let me close with one passage, and we're done. 1 John 2, verses 1 through 5. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know that we are in him. How do you know that you're in him? You live according to the God-breathed word. It is inspired. It is authoritative. Guys, it is the dividing line. On whether you are righteous or not righteous you cannot get any simpler than that make let me try though when the Bible says don't steal don't steal if you steal you're not being faithful the Bible says don't commit adultery don't go commit adultery if you do you're not being faithful fornication whatever the sin is lust whatever if you're doing it and the Bible says don't do it you're not faithful why because his word is inspired his word is authoritative it is the one thing that we can rest 100% assuredly on and know that it is truth. As I draw this to a close, that's my concern for each one of us, that we have heard the truth, studied the truth, and obeyed the truth, and then live by the truth. Guys, it's as simple as this, and we cover it all the time. If you've not become a Christian yet or you don't know how, go back and please read the book of Acts. There's a number of other passages, but I'll make it as simple as can be. There were always people teaching about Jesus Christ. We called them evangelists, preachers, uh, ministers, and they were going out and teaching about who Jesus was and why He came so that people would have faith in Him. Hebrews 11, 6. When people had faith in Him and understood about sin, and they understood they were responsible for their sin, they repented of their sins just as Jesus taught in Luke 13, 3 and 5. We find in every account that they confessed Christ, either with their mouth or through their actions, Romans 10, 9, and 10 would be the passage you could go back and see where they confessed Christ. Look at the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. And then after they had confessed Christ with their mouth, that He was their Savior, they were immersed in water for their mission of sins. Just as Peter taught in Acts 2:38, just as Jesus taught in Mark 16, 15, and 16, that there was a burial in water, Romans 6, 3, and 4, that it does save you, 1 Peter 3:21, and that it's how you get into Christ, Galatians 3, 26 and 27. And when they did that, they were Christians. And the Lord added them to the church, Acts 2, verse 47. If you've not done that, that was really quick, and I'd love to study it with you more. But that's how you become a Christian, and that's how you get added into the body of Christ. If you have done that and you're here, ask yourself this. Are you basing everything you believe and everything you do on the God-breathed Word? There's a way that we can help you in any way. You can come as we're led in a song of invitation.